quack, quack, quack. Y'all, one more Ducks game to watch this year. Well, actually, technically next year, I should say. But to, to cap this season off, we got a bowl game. And it's a big one. This is the Fiesta Bowl. That's right. New Year's Day. We will be watching the Ducks play. Number eight, Oregon will take on number 18, Liberty. But do not sleep on this team because sometimes, as we all know as Duck fans, talent alone is not enough to win you a game, especially if your heart's not in it. And we know Liberty will be bringing all they have. This is a big opportunity for them and, quite frankly, an opportunity for us to look foolish if we don't bring our A game, even with uh, Bucky and Bo in there. So I'm excited to talk about this team. I'm excited to talk about this game. Uh, first of all, we got Hithliday of Addicted to Quack, the managing editor and film reviewer. Hithliday, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. I had a very Merry Christmas. I uh, This year, I felt like a true adult because I made the Santa cookies that were brought down for Christmas. It was, it was a big, big moment for me hit day. So just so you know, yeah. I, I made a standing I rib roast. Well, okay. Some of us are a little more adult than others, I suppose. And then, um, of from a sea of red, this is a, uh, a site that you have to check out duck fans. If you want to know more about this team, after listening to this podcast, that is your independent source for flame sports news. And today we are lucky to, lucky enough to have John Manson of a sea of red. How you doing, John? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me on. Excited to talk about this game. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Um, so, well, oh, and thanks for getting us the opportunity uh, for something that we will need to do much more in the future, which is wake up very early for us specific timers to talk <laughs> to people on the other side of the country. <laughs> well, hey, I appreciate your uh, flexibility when we were uh, DMing there a little bit. It said, you know, the earlier the better. I'm on Christmas break. The kids are on Christmas break, so I'm going to be up anyways, and uh, it, it helps me out to uh, to get it done. I, I didn't expect you guys to get up so early, but but hey, thank you for uh, for the flexibility. Hey, hey, we're down. And, you know, uh, uh, I'm sure people are thankful to get batteries and toys, which is uh, half the fight. I know. <laughs> yeah, you're um, exactly right. Hithliday, <laughs> uh, why don't you take us through this roster? Yeah, I don't know. Man. What could be better than talking about football at seven in the morning? Um, so this was uh, an interesting project uh, to do. I've been doing similar projects for more than a decade now, um, y- you know, and usually one of the advantages that I have is is seeing quite a variety of opponents for doing a full season review because you get to see a variety of talent levels, a variety of different schemes on offensive defense, you know, variety of different coaching competencies you get to see teams where it's like you know the opponent going up against the team that you're studying you know maybe they're good at this position group and they're sort of weak at this other position group so this is how they compensate for that and then you know the next week they're playing a team where it's you know the other way around they're good at that group but bad at this group and so they compensate in a different way and so like that sort of set of variety uh you know, helps you get a multifaceted view of the team that you're studying. 
And for Liberty this year, the the opponents that they face, the the eight CUSA opponents, and then I think they played two Sunbelt teams, a MAC team, and an independent. Uh, they played 13 games because they played New Mexico State twice. Man, I really felt like I was viewing kind of like 12 clones of each other. Like they were sort of very similar strategies they were very similar you know even statistically like you know their f plus advanced statistics were very similar their uh, team two four seven team talent composites were very similar their quarterback you know passer ratings were very similar but the team that was the team that sort of changed over the course of the year was liberty um i thought it was very interesting watching where you know at the beginning of the year i i almost felt like i had it it pegged I, I resist coming to conclusions until i've got all the data in but like i sort of felt like i had okay it's a triple option offense or the modern version of it because the ncaa has been cutting back on 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 what you're allowed to do in terms of cut blocks um and like the quarterback, you know, doesn't want to throw the ball very often. You know, he's sort of a green quarterback. But by the end of the year, that had really changed. We were seeing less and less of the triple option stuff and more of just sort of a, you know, a spread option offense. And the quarterback was, you know, uh, Cadence Salter was throwing the ball a lot more to the point where, you know, they played the same team in week two and in the conference championship game. And the offense looked pretty different. All right, I've been talking for a while. John, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, have I said anything that you want to push back on there? No, I think you uh, you hit it pretty nail on. And, and I think, you know, just a couple of things just for, for background perspective as to why that kind of seemed to be the case uh, for Oregon fans is, is uh, you know, obviously this is uh, Jamie Chadwell's first year at Liberty. And and if you go back to the end of 2022 season to, uh, t- you know, today, the 2023 year, uh, Liberty had to replace about 50% of its roster, 50% of its scholarship athletes. There's over 40 new scholarship players on the team in 2023. And, and you had a new coaching staff. Staff. So for Liberty fans, it was a lot of question marks around the team, and, and it really started at quarterback. You know, you mentioned Caden Salter, and and uh, talking today about him compared to a year ago this time, or even four months ago this time, uh, would have been two different stories, or is two different stories. Um, you know, and the same thing with the offense. And, and I think you know the trip triple option, yeah, the triple option slash spread option offense that Coach Chadwell runs. Uh, it it has morphed throughout the year, and I think a lot of that was due to injuries at running back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liberty brought in a an entire new room, entire new stable of running backs at that position from last year, and they had some injuries. Quentin Cooley's the the guy that's rushed for over a thousand yards, and and I'm sure we'll talk about him a good amount. But uh, he he got d- dinged up middle part of the season, and and uh, was even they were they were trying to hold him out of the Buffalo game, uh, but Vaughn Blue, a true freshman who who played a lot early in the year, he got injured. Uh, suffered yeah, he a, missed a, almost the entire season. Yeah, yeah, he ended up redshirting, and and that was the third game of the year. And he was going to play as a true freshman. He had a broken collarbone that game and didn't play the rest of the year until late in the season. Uh, he got yeah, he in. Came, he, got, he came back the week thirteen, and then the conference championship game. I saw him a little bit. Yeah, he got in those last couple of games, and and you know just played the four games in the regular season, so he's able to keep that red shirt. But uh, he he should be back to full speed. But it was some of that. Also, Cooley was a little banged up. You know, transferring in from Wake Forest. Uh, he wasn't used to to getting twenty plus carries a game that that he was getting to start the year. So they were trying to, you know, decrease his load. Then also Billy Lucas, kind of the number two running back. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also was in and out of the lineup a lot of the year with injuries. And and uh, Aaron Bedgood, who was who's an interesting story. Yeah, he sure uh, is. 
Yeah, he, uh, you know, Coastal Carolina transfer came in. He, he actually gave up football and and was a State Farm insurance rep uh, back wow. in the summer before uh, Coach Chowell gave him a call and said, hey, we could probably use you. So he started off as like a slot receiver. And then after Vaughn Blue went down to injury, he kind of turned into a, a running back, kind of, you know, that that B option back that, that they, yeah. you know, use a lot. So uh, that was part of it. But then also just the the uh, emergence and maturing of Caden Salter at quarterback. I mean, they, they were really didn't know what they were going to get out of him uh, going into week one. And then, you know, going into to this game, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of Liberty fans and Liberty's coaching staff certainly would say they, they think they have one of the top quarterbacks in the country, certainly at the G5 level. Uh, Salter is he's really interesting uh, and the running backs are, too. It, the scheme is so, like I said, it's it's a triple option like and you it, it's not the sort of if anybody's familiar with watching sort of service academy or like you know georgia tech back in the day triple option it's not quite that um be, first of all the ncaa you know is 2018 and then 2022 made some rule changes that basically more or less eliminated the efficacy of, of cut blocking you know and so you kind of can't run that scheme anymore um it's more of a it's more of a wide open triple option where I, I would describe, I mean, I, I can have a bunch of video clips in my article to illustrate. It's sort of difficult to do on, in a podcast, but I would describe it more as like, there's a lot of moving pieces to it. And uh, they are trying to get you to commit to first the inside run. And if you do, they're going to go outside. And if they go outside, then there's a pitch option. Um, there's also an outside run component, which means there's actually two different ways that they run the triple option. And then on top of that, there's an end around component that bed good. So there's actually sort of, I would say it's like 2.5 different types of triple option, which is, I guess means there's like nine options. <laughs> it's, it's a really fascinating scheme. I was just as a total scheme nerd. It was a treat to watch. It's re it's really wide open. Open, rather than being sort of the three yards in a clouded dust type of run scheme, it's more like the get you to make a mistake and run for 40 yards kind of run scheme. I'll stop for a second. Have I said anything you disagree with? Is, is that a fair way to characterize it? Yeah, I, I think you're right on. And, and another thing to just kind of add to that is is uh, with Salter at quarterback. I mean, he's a true dual threat option. I mean, he oh, can yeah. he can you know sling the ball all over the yard, and and uh, he's second on the team in rushing. But a lot of those runs, as you probably saw, were not designed runs. They oh, were yeah. just you know plays would break down in the backfield, and and uh, he'd be able to make plays with his legs. And and uh, you know Liberty quarterback Malik Willis a couple years ago is now with the Tennessee Titans, uh, Auburn transfer uh he, he reminds a lot of liberty fans salter does reminds a lot of liberty fans of willis and, and his ability to kind of you know create plays from nothing and there was one run uh against new mexico state that that was one of the most impressive runs by a quarterback I've ever seen. Looked like he was going to be, you know, tackled for for a, a loss. You know, had like three or four guys surrounding him in the pocket, and somehow he got out of there. I almost stopped looking at the play, and uh, somehow he escaped from the pocket and and uh, you know ran down the field. I think he literally made all eleven players on the defense that play miss yeah. uh, as he ran for a touchdown. 
Yeah, it's it's bonkers. Like uh, Salter as an athlete is absolutely incredible. Like his his legs are are yeah it, 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 elite, just a elite acceleration, change of direction ability. I mean, he's a four star who came over from Tennessee, and I, I mean that's sort of what I when I was saying at the beginning of the year, I sort of thought that I had this both this offense pegged and him as a quarterback pegged. That's what I meant. It was like, oh, he's an athlete, and sort of that's all. Now I wound up you know changing my mind i'm glad that i reserved judgment because that's that's not what i wound up thinking by the end of the year but at the beginning of the year i was like oh this is why this guy won won the job because he was like well he's just super fast he's just another running back on the field because he is and you're also right about plays breaking down one of the benefits of charting the games is that i can separate those out like which i don't just have to go by the the statistics of like well he ran for a thousand plus yards i can separate out which ones of those were designed run plays which ones of those were passing plays in which he scrambled. I can break out the stats on that, but you're right. Like in terms of improvisation, I mean, there's going to be a whole clip compilation of my article of just, you really have to assign somebody to pin this guy down. Cause you know, like it's the most, he's the most dangerous dude on the field. Like, bar i mean like cooley's a fantastic running back salter is the most dangerous guy on the field like yeah yeah you're exactly right cooley is one of those guys that you know you you, you talked about uh, stopping the inside run and and there's games that that liberty would would just hand it to cooley on the on that inside run and and just dare other teams to stop them oh, yeah. and, and a lot of the teams on the schedule couldn't so i mean there were nine and ten minute drives and and yeah. i mean th- there were some third quarter drives where the game might have been tied oh, yeah. at halftime oh. and then by the end of the third quarter you know liberty up two touchdowns and you're like what just happened yeah Um, yeah that's sort of i mean that was another sort of challenge about charting this team is that and sort of about the quality of the competition i mean that's sort of sure you know i i I don't want to i don't want to sugarcoat it here the 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 you know the the quality of the competition i mean adam said at the opening like you know you, you can't just rely on talent a lot of times liberty was just straight up out talenting their opponents because like this wasn't a great schedule and we'll talk about the offensive line here in a minute like you know liberty just have a bigger offensive line you know than all then then i mean they were might as well be playing stick figures for a lot of the defense and they just lean on guys and then on top of that because it was an offense that wanted to run the ball about 60 percent, like designed runs about 60 percent of the time i totally know what you mean about some of those third quarter drives where you could just see okay the defense is exhausted like they just can't take it anymore and like in I, I almost every single game there's a drive at some point it's not just the third quarter sometimes it's the second quarter where it's like okay the game is over because it's just handoff 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 touchdown um and they're running for like eight nine ten yards a clip because the defense is done and it's like i need to stop watching this is garbage you know like i'll I'll watch this drive to completion but the rest of the game is garbage time because the defense isn't putting up a fight anymore um like they just can't they physically can't do it anymore um and and it's like yeah, I'm. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Oh, oh yeah, you're, you're you're right on. And and as someone covers uh, the Liberty team and a Liberty fan myself, it's uh, uh, that that happened a lot. There was a lot of times where games might have been a, a ten to fourteen point game, but in my mind, the game was over because you yeah. just knew that Liberty could could score at will. 
uh, when they needed to, and they did as long as they didn't shoot themselves in the in the foot with turnovers or penalties or, or whatever. Yeah. But but I think you know for me as we kind of look ahead to, to New Year's Day is is I'm really intrigued by the matchup. I mean, yeah, sure, Oregon's got more talent across the board, uh, but you know it, it'll be interesting to see how this Liberty team matches up against a, you know, a top 10, top five type team in the ducks, because we really don't know. And, and uh, we, we can, may find, or we will find out a lot about this Liberty team, you know, just how good are they uh, on new year's day? It's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's our project here today um, between you and me, John is the, it, it like trying to figure out how this scales because like for a lot of Liberty's games, you know, it's all guys like Salter and guys like Cooley. And for a lot of times the offensive line, it was sort of like watching men versus boys agree. And, and then like, how does that scale up when it's going to be men versus men? I don't know. It's going to be an interesting question. Get, getting back to, to Salter, just, I, I want to go through the position groups. So Salter was interesting to watch. He's definitely like a great athlete. The scheme is interesting because you have to account for the quarterback in the run scheme. In fact, he's usually their most reliable third down, fourth down option, you know, for converting. There's a crazy stat where they're much more effective but in terms of uh, being a passer it's interesting his throwing motion's a little funky he kind of like whips his body it's strange because he's much more effective as a passer as they approach the red zone like once they cross the 50 he starts throwing some nice rainbows when they're on their side of the field you know, on the other side of the 50, the Liberty side of the 50, it's like it's a lot of short passing and there's like way too much heat on it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. He, he has definitely, um, you know, evolved as a passer. And I think the coaching staff has really kind of, uh, you know, gotten a lot more trust in him. But but yeah, I mean, there are some passes he makes that, you know, a seven yard slant and he zips it through there and, and the receiver can't can't get a grasp on it because because he's throwing it like a, a fastball. Like he's trying to strike out a guy with two strikes in, in a yeah. full count. But but uh, but yeah. And then also, you know, another thing is, you know, you're talking about some of those deep shots he takes and and, you know, sometimes I mean, you know, and it'd be crazy to watch it, you know, it'll be a third and one at, at midfield and, and they'll take a 40 yard, you know, pass down, down the sideline. And you're thinking, why are we doing this? Yeah. You know, when you can just give it to Cooley and get three, four five yards easy and pick up the first down. And, and they did that so many times and, and it left us, you know, sometimes scratching our head, but I guess maybe they thought, you know, they could come back on fourth down if need be and pick up the first down. But uh, that, that's why it led to a lot of those, you know, you look at some of the stats, you know, Salter is up at the top of the country with yards per completion. And, and same thing with a couple of these receivers, CJ Daniels and, and uh, Trayon Sibley as well. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Well, because it's it's like they pass it so rarely that when they do, you know, it's uh, you know, it's for these bombs. But the crazy thing is, and you know, also let's sort of be honest, you know, to some extent, the quality of competition influences that as well. The crazy thing to me, and I, I was wondering, just somebody you know who watches this team all the time, if you had any theories about this, is that there's this bonkers stat about crossing the the fifty yard line where their effectiveness taking deep shots on from their side of the field is way lower than when they as soon as they cross the 50 yard line I, i'm not kidding about this they 
they jump a full yard per attempt in in their average. It's like this magic threshold where when they get to the opponent's side of the field, suddenly they're able to complete deep shots. But when they're on their own side of the field, it's like it it's ineffective for them to be able to to throw which is it's it's very strange because it's usually the other way around like usually it's harder for you to throw when you're on the opponent's side of the field because the defense compresses right you know the safeties get to come down you know in 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 the red zone and i just didn't get it at all like i it's so like backward because you you know right like usually when you have more of the field to play with it's easier for you to throw it deep and with liberty it was the other way around i didn't understand it do you have any insight into this at all john that that's interesting and not something that i that's been brought to my attention yet this year i think uh you know just maybe thinking it out loud is is perhaps and again it goes back to salter i mean this is first year as a starter full-time starter i started some last year as a redshirt freshman but but was injured a little bit mm-hmm. um but i I wonder if maybe it's it's just him and the offense getting in a rhythm. You know, yeah. maybe after they pick up a first down or two, their their confidence starts to rise. They're starting to feel good about what they're doing, what they're seeing, and on those other drives where you know maybe they're they there's been a handful of drives that you know it's just been three incompletions and it's quick three and out and mm-hmm. you know twenty two seconds comes off the clock. So I wonder if that's something to do with it. it is maybe just you know the confidence of you know you got a first year starting quarterback, you got a first year off offense first year offensive coordinator with this team uh if it's just you know getting that rhythm getting in in in, your momentum going and and uh, feeling confident about what you're doing that that might be my my best guess at that uh do do you think that might make some sense i mean like by definition you're on your side of the field early in the drive and and you know on your opponent's side of the field later in the drive so i mean yeah i mean yeah, I mean, I do sort of sense that that there's sort of a like there's a momentum is real for this team. Like they're the 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 time you want to get them is early in the game, and, and that there's a like as drives go on or as the game goes on, they become sort of more and more deadly. Um, I think something else to to kind of point out too, and and something that I've thought about, and it goes for the defense too. When we get on that side of the ball, is is uh, I think focus has a big part of, to play here. I mean, you know, you, you talked about you know men against boys type thing, and and that definitely was the case, and it felt that way, and it felt like there was times that Liberty would just check out, whether that's mm. you know a certain player or a certain drive uh, you know just the whole team i mean there there was you know halves where liberty would completely dominate a team and then all of a sudden the second half you're like what just happened how did they just score three straight touchdowns without any you know stop any, any liberty you know pressure or any uh liberty plays on, on the defense side of the ball to, to make stops so uh same thing on the offense there were just times where just like you know what just happened we went four straight drives without getting any uh points and and you know that was rare for this team i mean similar to an or- oregon i'm sure is is most drives ended in points if it wasn't a turnover so uh i, I think focus has to has to play into it some and that's something that i've kind of grappled with myself as as i've covered the team especially on the defensive side of the ball is it it seemed like sometimes they just weren't paying attention weren't focusing you know and then they would let big plays happen and but then when they needed to make a stop they would make the stop and and help the team to 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 win so uh, that that could play into it as well on offense also okay running back or actually one more question about quarterbacks before we move on the um 
I, I really didn't see anybody besides Salter uh, take a snap. In fact, he was playing pretty much through garbage time, you know, as well. The only other dude I saw taking even a little bit um, was Jonathan Bennett, um, who I, I understand was was like the starter last year. I, I didn't really watch any of last year's tape, but he was the guy who transferred out. Yes. So, so, so last year was the Charlie Brewer, who you all probably remember from right. Utah, and then yeah, at briefly, Baylor previously. Anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, very briefly. I think he played three or four games at Utah. But anyways, he transferred to Liberty prior to, to 2022 season and was expected to be a starter, was named the starter. But then he got hurt in the first quarter of the first game and it. was out most of the year. And and Jonathan Bennett was the backup last year. He'd, he's a guy that's been around the Liberty program. I think this is his fourth year, uh, you know, and it's always been the backup and and uh, he got the the the, you know he was the first man called in in that first half of that season opener last year and he really struggled the offense couldn't move the ball so they went to Salter who was third string at that time and and gave the offense some life he led a fourth quarter comeback and ended up winning that game in in, uh, four overtimes and and then Salter started the next you know three or four games and then he got injured. He, he pulled his growing yeah. and it, it was so bad. He had to get surgery on it, which is, nice. is kind of weird and, and extreme, too. And then they went back to Bennett. And then it was kind of like this back and forth tussle. But yeah, so anyways, Bennett was a quarterback battle up until into training camp this year. And and Bennett was it was a lot of people thought it was either Bennett or Salter and Salter won. Uh, he's a more talented guy. But yeah, Bennett's been the backup all year, but he he will not play in this game. He's opted out. And uh, he's transferring to FCS, uh, the Citadel, uh, back close to home for, for him in South Carolina. So he will not play. Liberty's backup, uh, if they need one, which hopefully they don't, is uh, is Trey Lowe, uh, who's another transfer from Southern Miss. And he's I, – I don't know if he's played 10 snaps this year. So uh, there's not much behind Salter. But that, that was really the case. I mean, if Liberty's going to have any chance to stay in this game, uh, it's going to be behind you know Salter at quarterback. Okay. Uh, well, you answered my question. I wanted to know who the, the backup was going to be. It, we had a guy out here in the Pac-12 named Trey Lowe, uh, who was at Washington, and then he transferred to Oregon State. But I think this is a different guy. This it's a different Lowe, guy. Yeah. Trey Lowe started. He's been around. You know how it is uh, nowadays yeah. with transfer port. He started at West Virginia, then he transferred to Southern, Southern Miss. Southern Miss, right. And, yeah. and then he he's at Liberty now. I think this is a sixth year of football, and, and he's got another year of eligibility. I, I have no idea yeah. how that works, yeah. but, but <laughs> yeah. he's a backup. Who knows nowadays? All right. Uh, running backs. We've talked about this a bit. Uh, you know, Quentin Cooley uh, is the starter. Uh, again, it, this was sort of like watching men among boys. Um, you, as you said, he was a transfer from a Wake Forest, a thousand yard rusher. Uh, it was really tough to bring this dude down. Um, I, you know, I, I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. It was just, you know, he was a pleasure to watch, you know, just barreling through dudes you know good top end speed uh you know knows the offense uh uh um and, and then you know we saw the backup to uh, billy lucas uh you know number zero uh you know again don't have a whole lot to say uh you know n- not qu- quite as many you know y- yard or his average is not quite as high in terms of yards per carry but you know certainly capable backup and then the other bat we talked about uh, Vaughn Blue who missed much of the season but it came back he was a true freshman that was interesting but his like average is actually pretty high I'm actually curious now that Blue is back with the team and his average is actually a little better than Billy Lucas do you think he would become the the number two running back 
No, I think they'll kind of keep it the, the way it's been going with Cooley as, as the number one option. Uh, Lucas kind of spelling Cooley on, on drives and certain plays here and there. Mm-hmm. And then then you've got, you know, like I, like I said earlier, they, they, they've got, you know, they, they play a lot of two running back sets. You right, know? Right. They call it an A back and a B back. And and the B back is you're more your speed guy that can get out on the edge and make plays. And that's really where, uh, where Von Blue fits in, uh, ideally, as his primary spot. They kind of rotate them back and forth between both spots but uh, he's more the outside guy the pitch guy the, the end around guy and uh so it's really kind of uh Cooley as the 1a in between the tackle runner uh Lucas as the 1b in between the tackle runner and then you got Bedgood and Aaron Bedgood who's really more of a slot receiver he's, he's yeah. really small like 5 8 180 pounds or something like that and uh he, he and and Vaughn Blue who should be full strength now uh are, are more of your your pitch guys guys around you know in the rounds uh that sort of thing so so i still think it's it's coolly primary uh back and then you know you'll see some pitches to to bed good pitches to to von blue they also like to use them out of the backfield in the past game too but but yeah it's still coolly and then i would say lucas lucas he's another guy that um uh, his overall numbers are, are are down a little bit just due to him fighting through injuries. I mean, he played most games. There's a, you know maybe two or three he sat out, but uh, he played most games. But they would limit it, limit his reps. He might have only gotten eight carries in a game where they would have liked to have gotten him twelve to fifteen. Just you know might have been nursing an ankle injury or something and just wanted to kind of hold him back and preserve him as the season progressed. But yeah, it, it's Cooley number one. And Cooley, we kind of talk about him as as like the bowling ball. He's a guy yeah. that's always falling forward. Uh, it looks like it might be a no game. It goes for two or three or, or you know, he's also, he would punch through the line a lot of times and get seven, eight yards on a first down and, and they would go right back to him the next time he'd do it again. So uh, he's he's really the, kind of the, the engine that that kind of runs that, that offensive uh, rushing attack, which leads the nation in rushing yards, and then uh, you know you got got a few others there to kind of kind of fill in those gaps uh, behind him. So, do you think with Blue back that he winds up taking uh, uh, snaps away from Bedgood? I, I do think that he'll cut into some of Bedgood's role. Bedgood was originally brought in as a slot receiver. Yeah, I know. It. I wound up yeah. recategorizing him as a running back, even though, like, officially on the roster, he's listed as a wide receiver. Yeah, I, I picked he, up he, on that. He got transitioned to to yeah. running back when Von Blue went down, so he kind of filled Von so you Blue's think with, role. With Blue so back that he he Blue winds up taking his old job back, and then Bedgood. I, I think they'll split it just because Bedgood yeah. is the veteran. Bed, Bedgood's been there you know mm-hmm. all season they've kind of gotten in a, in a rhythm and routine with him so i don't think you know that that uh blue's gonna come in and take the role i think they'll be more of a a, a split a role for him there and you might see more of bed good in the slot uh with blue back and another thing is is which you know this is getting the special teams a little bit but bed good's also the team's leading kick returner and, and he yeah. was pretty pretty successful early in the year but it seemed like and i kind of as the year went on i kind of was like i think it was due to blue's injury uh he, he went to a lot more fair catches uh in the kickoff game when blue uh, was out and injured and then at the end of the season you saw him try to return some more as well so you might see him try to I mean he would take it from three four yards deep rather than just you know do the fair catch and and so I think that's really where the biggest impact is with blue coming back which kind of seems weird because blue doesn't even play special teams but it's just having uh bed good back there with and you're you're 
you're I, I, you don't want anybody to get injured, but I guess you're more willing to accept the risk of him getting injured on a kick return when you got a guy like Blue. Uh, but they're both very similar, and I, I don't see Blue eating into or really taking over uh, Bedgood's role. It'll probably just be more of a you know kind of kind of a time split. So the uh, last question about the running backs is the Arkansas transfer uh, jointer um, missed a couple of weeks at the beginning of the season. I think missed uh, week seven as well. And then he missed the conference championship game. It was a little weird that I didn't see him, although that was also a game that blue came back for. So I thought maybe, well, I couldn't tell whether or not he was, he hurt or was that just, uh, Oh, we finally got four running backs in the room. So we just don't need you. Sure. Um, jointer, the, jointer is more of a depth running back. I mean, you probably won't see him uh, okay. in the Fiesta bowl unless there is an injury ahead of him or or something like that. I wouldn't expect him to play. But, I mean, he's been productive when he came in. A lot of his stats yeah. came late in games, you know, fourth quarters when when Liberty's just trying to run the yeah, clock out type things. So. I just wondered. I was just sure. curious whether or not no, he no, was it's a good question. No, to my knowledge, he's he's a full go and, and okay. can play. And he, he was as well in the New Mexico State, you know, Conference USA Championship game. Just, you know, didn't really need him, you know, because, again, he's kind of behind the four other names we yeah. already mentioned. That, that's sort of what I figured. I just you know, want to check who's hurt okay tight ends um we've pretty much just seen two although uh, due to an injury to the who i would characterize as their number one who's bentley hanshaw uh, we saw a little bit of two other guys um but primarily we've been seeing uh, bentley hanshaw number 15 and uh, number 83 austin henderson um they will uh they throw the ball more often to Bentley Hanshaw. It's a, only occasionally that they'll throw the ball to Henderson. Um, do you think that's a fair characterization? Yeah, that's true. I, I think um, Hanshaw is, like you said, kind of looked at it as the number one option. And and uh, Henderson, uh, a little bit younger guy, and uh, uh, kind of came on as the season progressed. You, you mentioned it. Hanshaw did get injured there, missed, uh, I think, two games. Uh, but he came back in the conference championship game, and he's mm-hmm. back and, and healthy and ready to go. And and uh, I think, you know, Liberty's, you know, comfortable and confident to, to use them both in the past game, but but they are, you know, primarily used as blocking additional yeah. offensive linemen, really. And and oh, yeah. you might see them more like in the red zone. They'll take some shots to the tight ends and and, uh, you know, you can probably, you know, look at their touchdowns compared to receptions. They're, it's pretty high number. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, they're pretty in, in my eye. I would say the two are, are pretty interchangeable. A uh, Hanshaw, uh, an older guy, he started his career at at uh, BYU, uh, went on a Mormon mission for two years. So I believe he's like 25 years old. And yeah. uh, and and Henderson's a transfer from uh, Minnesota. They're both mm-hmm. second year in the program. Uh, but yeah, I think they're both you know pretty interchangeable. Well, in, yeah, in terms of blocking grades on my tally sheet, yeah, they they grade out uh, pretty. Yeah, uh, they they have pretty much identical uh, blocking effectiveness grades on my my tally sheet. They have similar builds. Um, uh, yeah, it's just you know the only thing that sort of differentiates them is that you know Hanshaw gets about you know uh, on a per target basis, not a per catch basis, but on a per target basis outside of garbage time, he gets about double the yards per target. Um, you know, yeah, he's just, yeah that, that's probably they're willing to split him out and and throw the sure. ball to him. And, and Henderson, it's like. You know, it's like 
it's rare and it's you know only there it's like short receptions only and, and that, that's pretty much the only thing that differentiates them yeah that that's accurate and I, I think um when they go to a one single tight end uh usage uh or single tight end package it's going to be with Hanshaw primarily uh where henderson's mainly in there with the two tight end right. looks uh, that's pretty much all my questions about tight ends. Um, wide receivers. The, the, the primary guy they've been throwing the ball to is CJ Daniels. I really thought he came on towards the end of the year. You know, when I first sort of compiled the stats and then and he had like twice as many targets and twice as many yards as anybody else. And then I was watching him in the first half of the year. I was just like, how does this guy have twice as many? And then I was watching in the second half of the year and he was like going up and mossing dudes, you know, uh, like, you know, going up over opposing cornerbacks and pulling down balls. And like, I really felt like he was, you know, really getting some chemistry with Salter there. Like Salter was really trusting him to go up and catch like, like contested balls, you know, it wasn't just like throw the ball to the wide open dude, which is sort of what I feel about how the rest of the wide receiver room works. Um, that like Daniels that Salter is willing to throw like, Hey, he's covered, but Daniels can go up and get it. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And th- those two Daniels and Salter are, they are roommates. Uh, oh, really? so that probably leads into, to some of their connection on the field. And, and, uh, and Daniels is an interesting, uh, case and, He's coming off an ACL uh, last year, which which caused him to miss most of the last season. I think he played in four games, and then they decided just to shut him down just because he wasn't full speed, full strength. Mm-hmm. And uh, and coming into this year, a lot of people expected him to take that next step, but he'd kind of always been a complimentary receiver. And then, you know, I think as a year went on, as both he and Salter got more confidence and more exp- experience in the system, uh, you really saw that connection mm-hmm. grow, like you alluded to, and and. Uh, he's really the big play guy. He's the guy that, you know, if they need a crucial uh, third down conversion, they're going to look for him. Um, so so he is the guy that they they look to make the big plays and and that they target more than any other in, in the receiver room. Yes, your, your point on there. Uh, the other there's a couple other guys in the room. I, well, Bedgood actually winds up getting, you know, quite a few catches. Um, sort of, I guess we'll sort of have to see how that works out with, you know, what they do now that Blue is back on the field. It would be interesting to have both Blue and Bedgood on the field and and have Bedgood back as a, as a true slot receiver because I when they've sort of pressed him into service as you know the 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 blue replacement uh they didn't really have that you know they were sort of playing Treon Sibley number 21 as that role but I don't really think he's perfect for that role because he's like six zero, and I don't really think he has the same like change of direction ability, you know, to be that really like shifty slot receiver guy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. I think the slot receiver was the biggest question mark coming into the season for for Liberty is is uh, who could fill in. Demario uh, Douglas was their top receiver last year as a slot guy, five nine, real shifty guys. Now with the Patriots, was a, a six round draft pick last year, and and. And I think he set a record for the most uh, catches by a rookie receiver under Bill Belichick uh, earlier this this uh, this month. But but anyways, uh, so it was like who's going to step into that role? And and uh, Shader Lewis was one name, but he ended up transferring after spring ball to uh, Tulane, uh, so they lost that option. Uh, and then they brought in Bedgood over the summer to to hopefully fill that in. Uh, also, Reese Smith was a transfer from West Virginia that came in prior to the spring. He went down in the summer to a torn ACL, so uh, had a lot of miss 
misfortune yeah. at that position. But I think Bedgood is really the one they they want to be that. He just hasn't, you know, like you said, he got pressed into action as a running back, and you know they use him more at with you know some screens, some throw to the, a running back screen out of the out of the backfield yeah. or a short wide receiver screen. They don't use him a ton like over over the middle or anything like that. And that's where uh, Sibley probably slides in. But but you're right, Sibley is not. I mean, if you look at him. Uh, you wouldn't expect him to to be. I mean, he's certainly not going to win any races. He's not the fastest guy. He, yeah, I, I just think that's sort of the thing is that Sibley sort of a, a man without a job. Like he's he's not shifty enough to be a slot receiver, and they've already got the outside receivers, you know, jobs filled with Daniels and Frith. Frith, I think, is sort of. I mean, he's huge, right? Like he's six four. He looks like a tight end. Although I sort of think he underproduces, you know, frankly, given his size and given how much he just sort of dominates the CUSA defensive backs who are supposed to be covering him. I'm sort of like, why doesn't this guy have like three times as many receptions as he does? Hey, you and me both. I mean, first the first guy that that we've uh, wondered about for a long time, and and uh, it seemed like he was that guy that could always take the next step, but he never did. And yeah, uh, he's talented. He's got the size he's got the speed he's got the hands uh but he's you know suffered and battled through injuries off and on throughout mm-hmm. his career and and uh, this year is really the first year he's been healthy but uh he's been non-existent in a lot of games i mean yeah, you just man, you look up at in this yeah you're like where where's frit did he even play today and and he leads the receivers in, in snaps and you're like how did that happen uh they yeah, just he, don't he's like he's more. always on the field but it's like i uh, yeah i mean like you don't want to totally forget him adam because he has had some like yeah the kind of championship is, game, yeah, the championship game. He was really good. Really had a you yeah. know six year uh, senior too, so it was good to to see him have a good game there and and had a really nice catch and run for a touchdown. Uh, so he has potential. He just been uh, you know I think it's safe to say he's he's been a little inconsistent uh, throughout his career and certainly this year as well. But yeah, I mean, really, I, I don't want to oversimplify it too much because, you know, it's not like Sibley uh, or Frith or even the possibility of Bedgood going back and playing the slot. Like these are all, you know, things that you need to keep an eye out for, I I, I think. But if I am going to radically oversimplify it, it's like, man, you need to watch out for Daniels and pretty much only Daniels. Like, you know, he's the guy where, you know, when the chips are down, you know, Salter is going to look for that guy. Um, and, yeah, and that, that's accurate. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the offensive line. Um, so there's, uh, we pretty much saw the same starting group, although there's an interesting sixth man rotation. I'll talk about in a second. I, I just want to run them down, make sure I got this accurate. Uh, left tackle, Chase uh, Mitchell, left guard, number 52, Jonathan Graham, the center, Jordan White, who came in from West Virginia, the right guard, Zavea Gadlin, who came in from Tulsa, and the right tackle, Xavier Gray, who came in from Akron. Yep, those are the primary guys, and and they've used primarily only them. <laughs> yeah, like I don't think there's been a knock on wood about this. Like I don't think I've seen an injury or like any of those guys miss a single snap. Yeah, yeah, definitely a knock on wood there. But the, it's very unusual uh, to have the entire starting uh, line there all season, and and they have been, and that's fortunate for Liberty. They did they did lose Brendan Schlittler, uh, who was a preseason All Conference performer and and starting right guard uh, mm-hmm. prior to the 
season started uh, and he's pretty much missed. He, he came on late. He's unlikely to play in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, but then, you know, and I'm sure you're about to mention him, but Jack Tucker's kind of the right. sixth man that kind of rotates in at tackle. But other than that, it's only been those, those five guys there. It is interesting. I, I wondered, I couldn't, I think they're planned rotations for Jack Tucker when he comes in. I've seen, he pretty much, he comes in and plays left tackle and then he either replaces Chase Mitchell or Chase Mitchell goes over and plays right tackle and 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 Gray hits the bench. You know, it's either one one or the other of those things. But it, it definitely seems to be planned. It's not, yes, oh, I'm correct. sick of you, Chase Mitchell, and anything like that. I think they're just doing it for, for rotation's sake. I, you know, that that's Oregon actually does has been doing something similar, you know, since 2020, um, which is weird because they've had three different offensive line coaches and they've kept up the uh I figured it was like a COVID, you know, like let's cross train all of our dudes you know so that uh you know if if somebody you know suddenly starts coughing you know we we don't uh, we're not caught in the lurch uh and then like they kept it up for four years so like i get it like you know that's fine that but it, like they've i've only seen it done at tackle my question is uh you know while we're we're talking about depth what about guards like i, I literally haven't seen any other guard or center play uh if they have to do that knock on wood uh who do you think would go in Sure. Uh, Aaron Finnamore is probably the next man up. He's he's another interesting guy, true freshman. They wanted to save his red shirt, and they did. So you didn't see him play until the last three or four games of the year. And and uh, so he was able to preserve that. Oh, I don't pro- think I saw him at all. Was that like in garbage time? Yeah. I mean, he played very limited snaps. I mean, not not much at all. Garbage time primarily. But but he did come in uh, the last three or four games of the year. You know, maybe got two or three drives under his belt. So uh, if, if there w- was an injury, they, they could go to him. Uh, he's probably going to be the team's starter center next year oh. uh, and then they would move white over to, to one of the guards which both of those guards are uh, uh, seniors so this will be their last game for Liberty mm-hmm. uh, also if there was an injury early enough in the game uh, at, at guard or center uh, they, they could bring in Schlittler who like I said he, he's been out all year with a knee injury but uh, he's available. It's kind of one of those things where he's probably not going to play unless they really need him to. So uh, he's been rehabbing all that stuff. So Schlittler's probably uh, an emergency, you know, break glass in case of emergency type of guy. And then they could also use a, a Fenimore. Uh, if they need to uh, at either guard or center and move white, that's where they see white long term is at one of the guard spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but well, I think he's only got one year left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, next year. Sure. Good point. Uh, but th- they see him there. They originally had, had planned him to be guard, but they didn't have any other center options and they wanted to keep uh, Fenimore's year of eligibility. So uh, if they needed somebody, uh, Fenimore's probably the first option. And then uh, uh Schlittler, if they needed to, uh, he could probably be an, an emergency type uh, guard as well. The first thing that jumps off the screen uh, about watching these guys is they're big, um, like much bigger than when I was watching Liberty's defensive film and therefore the opposing offensive lines in the CUSA and the the other uh, opponents that they played who might as well be CUSA team, you know, like they, like I was saying at the top, like, you know, the, the other four teams that they played, you know, would have fit right in like very similar talent profiles. Um, 
like this was by far the best offensive line that was on the field at the same time that Liberty was on the the field. Um, you know, big guys like every one of them's like 320, 330, you know, except for the center who's at 295. Um, they're all upperclassmen, like it's all juniors and seniors. Um, a couple of them are are, you know, mid three stars, like White and Gadlin are both mid three stars, um, which is again like way higher talent profile than the rest of um you know what you expect you know for for usa you know players uh and like i mean it was just i mean like xavier grace six eight you know like he was just like dominating people physically um i'll stop here uh am i lying no you're 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 on it again uh the offensive line has been able to dominate everybody it's been uh the strength of the team i mean this offense doesn't go without the offensive line and like like it's typically the case if, if you've got a good offense you got a yeah. good offensive line and and nobody talks about them that's just how it goes yeah, I, uh, uh boy but, you're you're after my heart too like i, I yeah I, I you've said words that that you might as well be paired in me i've said a thousand times like the, it's the heart of your team and nobody talks about them it's exactly crazy. exactly but but that's that's the case uh, that it's been all season but again like i said early and this kind of becomes a uh you know i don't want to be a broken record but i'm really interested to see how they match up against uh, an oregon and and a, and a team with with that talented of a front uh th- that the ducks have and and uh you know i mean salter has rarely had pressure i mean there's been times you know oh. we joke about it that he just oh, sits man, back i disagree and, with that i'm going to talk about <clears throat> that in a second but yeah yeah no, no that's fine there, there's been times that he's sat back in the pocket and just had all day to throw and and you know could make a sandwich back there if he needed to and and uh so it'd be interesting to see how they uh uh go up against a, a team like like oregon uh, who's obviously got, got the, by far the most talented defensive front uh liberty's uh face this season that's the the so the interesting thing is okay so they're big guys uh the the other thing that jumps off you know watching them on the screen is this is a run based you know it's 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 a run dominant offense they want to run they run 60% of the time you know on on the uh you know the down and distance now you know like they're uh, first down they run even more frequently than they do globally like they they run 67.4% of the time on first down like you know in short yard situations <laughs> like a real like like second and short at 76% of the time third and short it's 87 percent of the time like you know like you give them any excuse to run they're going to run the ball um like they, they really you know it's it's only passing the ball when like either they have to or it's a you know or they're surprising you with it um which is yeah sure i get it you know i i get it i get the strategy um the so the second thing that jumps off the screen is it's a relatively complex set of blocking run blocking schemes and they know it like i i have hardly any assignment errors in run blocking on my tally sheet and these guys are pulling like you know it's not like you might maybe you you detected that i was about to damn them with faint, faint praise that like all they were doing was just uh you know leaning forward on a bunch of you know tiny guys and and that the running back you know cooley and these other guys would just sort of like fall forward for a few yards and it was you know nah not at all like you know it's a complex you know run scheme and they knew their assignments they'd pull around they'd hit dudes they'd open up holes and they're you know 
you know, for, for big run gaps. And like, I, look, man, I like Oregon prides itself on being a team with like elegant, complex running schemes that had that, that will get like 15 yard, you know, runs all the time. Whereas I watch a lot of other teams that are that sort of like, this is dumb button mashing running and I hate watching it. And so like, look, when I see another team that has like offensive linemen that are like, that know their jobs and open up elegant run schemes, like I'm like game recognized game. I like seeing it. And like, that's what I was seeing out of Liberty. So like, yeah, man, I dug it. Uh, I'll stop there. Like my lion. No, no, I think I think you're you're on there. Uh, and, and like I said, it, you know, it'd be interesting to see. We we haven't seen this this Liberty uh, offensive line or the, the entire team go up against a team sure. that's more talented than than themselves. So, uh, you know, it'd be interested to see how, like you said at the beginning, how how do you you know uh, let, translate this to going up against a team like like an Oregon? We, you know, we really don't know, and and uh, it'll be interesting to to see how they how, how they stack up. Where I do have criticism for this line, first of all, I don't think they're they bend real well. Like I, there's some flexibility issues, which you know that's, we're getting kind of technical. I'm, I'm going to have to show some film clips of it. But the primary way that that shows up is in pass protection, where they they need to be able to like really sink down anchor and deal with stuff like twists and coming off the edge. Boy, uh, you don't see it very often because this team doesn't want to pass very often. But the pocket breaks down. Salter's usually getting the ball off to his first read pretty quick. You know, part of that is sort of where the wide receiver core is at and because of the nature of the scheme. And so it's, you know, often fine. And then also the dude is a hell of a scrambler. So a lot of times, you know, it doesn't matter that the pocket is breaking down. I mean, hell, the dude's like better out of the pocket. Frankly, I'm not making that up like that's statistical, like he's better out of the pocket. Like, but man, like I really feel like, uh, the the you know what i what i was seeing pretty consistently was that you know if they need the pocket to stand up for Palter Salter to 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 go through his progressions like that that's not a solid bet um that that the pocket would break down um do you think i'm off base yeah i mean i i might disagree with that slightly and uh i mean if you look you know, Liberty. And again, part of this is due to being very rush heavy. So mm-hmm. how would these numbers translate if, if they were a more pass heavy team? But uh, they are second in the, in the country in, in sacks allowed, only giving up nine on the season. Uh, again, you know, we, we've talked about the schedule. So so how does that stack up against an Oregon team? Uh, but, but they've been able to do that. And then, you know, I also, you know, how much of that is Salter's ability to escape right. that pressure? You know, so so I think you got a few things in at play there. But uh, you know, there, there are, and again, I don't, you know, <clears throat> I haven't broken down the film like, like you have. So, uh, it, it'd be interesting to see, but there, there have been several occasions where it seems like Salter just has all day to throw and, and he's getting no pressure and he's able to go through his reads. And, and so, so you again, wonder how good does, uh, how good is this offensive line in pass protection? How good are they? And how does it stack up against some of these other teams? So uh, again, you know, how much of that is, is due, how much of that, you know, sacks allowed nine uh, number is due to Salter's escapability. Uh, how much of it is due to being a run heavy offense and how much of it is due to, you know, the offensive line, you know, being good and able to keep the pocket clean. So uh, w- again, we may find out that yeah. uh, on Monday in, in, in the Fiesta Bowl and see, because, 
you know, I, I would expect Oregon to be able to, to get, break through and get a, a couple sacks in the game. Just they're that talented. They're going to be able to do it. So uh, if it becomes a problem where Liberty does not have uh, control of the line of scrimmage, cannot keep the pocket clean, cannot pick up, you know, three, four yards of carry, then it'll be a long day for, for the Flames. Well, I think, I mean, honestly, I think this is where the game is is decided because like most I'm, I'm going to do some theorizing here before we switch over to the defense is sort of the, the end of the offensive discussion, like most, you know, running base teams or efficiency based teams, like the, the, the way that a defense wants to beat them is to, to, you can't beat this team if you're letting them succeed on first and second down, because if you let them get into third and short or second and short, forget it. They're going to pick up second and short, third and short, like their second and short, third and short, even second and medium success rates are through the roof. Right. And in, even if they just get, if they're successful on first down and set up second and short, this team's just going to run three times. They're going to run on second and short. They're going to run on third and short. They're going to run on fourth and short. And they're going to pick up one of them. If you give them three chances uh, in short yardage, they're going to get one of them. And now they've got a fresh set of downs. So, you, you know, you can't let them succeed on first down. You can't let them succeed on second down. You can't, you know, like you have to get them into third and long. But the good news is, if you're the defense against Liberty, the good news is if you get them into third and long their success rate kind of collapses down to uh, about 35 percent um and the reason is they got a pass you know on third and long they they they, they pass about 80 percent of the time uh, on third and long and they're only about 35 percent successful you know passing the ball and part of that you know is pocket breakdowns now sacks are only part of it you know the uh, on my tally sheet the the number that i come up with is the broken play rate uh on on drop back passing which i come up with 37.5 percent uh that is um when they drop back to pass, 37.5% end in a sack, scramble, or throwaway. That is, the, the pocket breaks down, and, and Salter's got to make something up. Uh, you know, obviously, for the defense, the sack is the, is the best outcome, but a throwaway is a pretty good outcome, too. A scramble, on the other hand, that's okay. So what happens when Salter scrambles? Well... Salter's pretty dangerous when he scrambles. He gets about 9.7 yards per play on a broken pocket, excluding throwaways, because he's so dangerous with his legs and he throws the ball on the hoof really well. And that's why I say this is where I think the, the game is decided. Like they even when the pocket breaks they still have a 45% success rate that's underwater, but it's still, you know, it's not 10%, you know, like they're still really, uh, you know, a fairly efficient team with a broken pocket. So it's like, yeah, John, I think, I think you're probably correct in that assessment that like Oregon's probably going to break through the protection it's just that there's a second question, which is, OK, so what happens next? You know, are they going to allow Salter to make a play? Because he damn well can make a play like, oh, my God, can he make a play? He can make a play with his legs. He keeps his eyes downfield and can, you know, find somebody to throw to. He he throws very well on the hoof, like and just empirically. I mean, I'm not kidding. He gets nine point seven yards per play on a broken pocket, excluding throwaways. And like that second question, like what happens 
when the pocket breaks down. Like if Oregon is effectively able to either sack him or get him to make a low, you know, like get a completion, but it's only for a couple of yards and then they tackle that guy. And so then they have to punt or a throwaway or something. Then like, yeah, okay. Then it's going to be defense wins. It's going to be a long day for Liberty. On the other hand, if they break the pocket, but then they still allow Salter to make a play, it's going to be a long day for Oregon. That's where I'm saying, like, the, I think the whole game is, you know, whether it, whether the game is over pretty quick or it's a game that's a knockdown drag out goes 10 rounds is going to be that that question. How does Salter perform when the pocket breaks down? Yeah, I, I, that, that I, is I, my opinion. John, what do you think about that opinion? No, I agree with what you're saying. And and I'd be curious to know how many of those, you know, plays that, you know, the pocket broke down were uh, that led to scrambles were pretty much you know maybe Salter's second read I, I would uh you know argue, argue that there's probably a, a good amount of those plays that that Salter you know a third and long he's uh got one read maybe it's a CJ Daniels and if he's not there he's looking he just goes he drops his eyes and is trying to find a play with his legs that's happened a lot of times uh so I would I would uh, argue that there's a good percentage of those uh successful uh third and long uh conversions have been with uh Salter's legs. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think Salter and, and you were kind of hinting at this. I think, you know, Salter is the key to the game for Liberty. If Liberty is going to be able to to make this a game into the fourth quarter, it's going to be on on the back of Caden Salter. He's the one player that that I think can, uh, you know, Liberty can ride his back and, and kind of carry them to, to keep them competitive in this game. Uh, he's got to be able there's going to be some third uh, key third down plays that he's going to have to be able to to move the chains and and keep that Liberty offense on the field because we know and you know I know we're going to talk about it in a second we know we know Oregon's going to be able to score some points and probably score a lot of them so uh, if Salter's able to to keep the clock running which I think is another key for Liberty oh, yeah. and, and also uh, move the chains with with his legs on some of these third and long plays it, it's that's crucial for Liberty they like like you were kind of saying is. I don't see Liberty staying in the game uh, if he's uh, unable to do that. If, if he's relegated to uh, an average type quarterback that that can't make plays and can't escape the pocket and, and pick up first downs, then it, it like I said, it's going to be a long day for Liberty. And uh, it, it, you know, again, it'll be interesting to see how Sartre performs against that level of, of talent. And uh, I, as a Liberty fan, as a, a fan of college football, I think it's an exciting matchup just to see, you know, just how good is Caden Salter, just how good uh, is he? Can can he? Uh, and I'm sure there'll be NFL scouts watching him, too, is because they're probably oh, interested yeah. in seeing how good is he? Does he project as an NFL guy? He's, he's a little undersized. Uh, but he can throw the ball. He makes the throws. You know, you can probably work on him with with some of the touch on his intermediate and and short throws. But uh, he he can obviously make plays like we saw with Lamar Jackson on on Monday Night Football Christmas Night. Is is hmm. he's able to to make plays uh, when it seems all hope is lost and and can be the difference maker against uh, who I think would probably have a better overall rep. Uh, roster in, in the 49ers in that game uh, but because of Lamar Jackson primarily they were able to, to pick up a win and kind of in convincing fashion so again I'm not saying Caden Salter is the next Lamar Jackson but I think he has the potential to uh, give Liberty a, a chance in this game keep them in the game going into the fourth quarter I mean there's no question in my mind that like his his legs are elite 
like his uh, improvisational ability is elite. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I, I think the, I think, I think the, the qual the, the, the character and nature of the game is going to be decided on, you know, how, how Oregon res- you know, deals with that factor. Um, you know, if, if they're able to limit the damage that uh, Salter is able to do improvisationally, then then, then that's going to be one thing. If they're not, then yeah, Liberty can definitely take this one to the wire. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think if uh, Oregon's DBs, which they probably are, uh, you would know better than I do, if, they, if they're able to lock up Liberty's receivers in one-on-one battles on these third and long plays when you know a run's coming and, and they can mm-hmm. have an extra safety, have an extra linebacker kind uh, in the box, keeping eyes on, on uh, Salter. And, and the, again, linebackers and safeties that are probably as fast as Salter is, uh, and they can limit those you know, plays, which which have been explosives for Liberty all season against Conference USA competition. Uh, but if they can limit those you know, 10 yards and picking up a third and eight to a four-yard yeah. uh, Liberty gain and, and or a throwaway and, and Liberty having to punt, then, uh, yeah, you know, again, yeah. that, that – like you like you're saying key the key the game right there certainly for liberty's offense okay let's switch over and talk about the defense so structurally most of the time i'm seeing a 425 N- nothing uh nothing too unusual about it you know uh, two big defensive tackles in the middle two defensive ends uh two linebackers at depth and a, a nickel structure in the back right yeah, yeah, you're you're right. That's the that's the base structure, and and uh, it, it's a defense. Again, talked about you know all the turnover Liberty had from last year. This year, only had has two returning starters from last year. One of those oh, is really yeah, Kendy Charles and Quentin Reese at safety, and and Kendy Charles, which, which will you know I know you'll you'll want to touch on is uh, he's been injured most of the year. Was injured in the preseason, missed the beginning part of the season, mm-hmm. came in and and played some of the middle games, and then got injured again towards the latter half of the season, and and. And has been out yeah. a lot too and, and his status is, is questionable he's in the portal uh so that he's already questionable just for that matter but uh he, he's probably i think he's going to be with the team and travel with the team but he's probably um you know more on the doubtful side as far as being ready and cleared to play from an injury perspective so i uh, let me talk about that guy when we get to the the individual units because there's uh, i still want to talk about the structure because there's an interesting thing to it when they well two interesting things when they want to go heavier like uh you know when when the opposing offense you know puts in multiple tight ends or when it's you know obvious run situation they they usually just put in the third uh, linebacker, um, you know, so it's, you know, they, they pull the nickel, they put in, you know, so, so they go to, to more of a four, three um, that again, you know, n- nothing really unusual or, or, or uh, controversial about that. When, however, the thing that it does sort of have me a little stumped um, is their dime package. Um, so, uh, and, and even half the time, the dime package doesn't have me stumped. It's just the other half of the time. The their dime package, they'll pull one of the defensive linemen and they'll put in, uh, you know, a sixth the defensive back. Now, like I said, about half the time, it totally makes sense. It's passing downs. You know, it's like third and fifteen. You know, they're going to pass the ball, and like, yeah, of course, you put on, you put in a, a, a sixth defensive back. Like every team in America has that dime package, and you know, in, in their books. What I didn't get was that 
on a whole lot of downs uh, like that were just like standard downs, you know, first and 10 or they have like multiple tight ends in, you know, whatever that they would also be playing their dying package, you know, like they'd have Jimerson in like Im- impersonating a linebacker uh, or impersonating a de- or they'd have, you know, Reese down in the in the box or on the defensive line impersonating a defensive end. And I was like, what's going on here? And the offense would run the ball and like, Hey, guess what? <laughs> you know, a dying package doesn't defend the run very well. Uh, I, I didn't understand that. Uh, what's up with that? Yeah, I think it's primarily due to the lack of depth and, and skill at linebacker. That's mm-hmm. been the, the, the weakest position on the team. Obviously, mm-hmm. Ty- Tyron Dupree, which, you know, I know you'll break it down position by position. He's Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year, led the team in tackles, all that stuff, and, 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 and had a good season. But, uh, you know, outside of him, and he was an unknown question, questionable piece coming into the year, uh, outside of him, there's really a lot of holes there and a lot of questions, a lot of unknowns, a lot of uh you know at, at the linebacker position just a lot of a lot of question marks and and so you know the the defensive backs are the strength of the defensive unit you know you, you mentioned Quentin Reese uh Jalen Jimerson another one Preston Hodge another one that came on a lot and and uh Brylon Green also Kobe Singleton at corner Marion Williams at, at corner I, I think the the defense staff probably feels more comfortable with with the extra defensive back uh, mm-hmm. on the field rather than having to you know maybe to, to save a few snaps for for that second and third maybe fourth linebacker they brought in mm-hmm. a couple linebackers uh through the portal uh chike nuanquo uh abilene christian transfer who they expected to to compete for a starting spot but he's barely been able to get on the yeah. field um so I, saw I saw nick days more often than yeah, he did yeah nick days another transfer they brought in as well too is uh again not played a, a ton yeah. and hasn't really panned out like they hoped for so i think that's the that's the probably the biggest reason why they're they're going to the extra db and you know a, a non-obvious passing uh down is just lack of trust lack of depth at linebacker Hmm. It's interesting because, well, hmm. so the I want to talk about the defensive backs last uh, because you're right. Well, it's definitely the deepest, uh, you know, uh, position on the defense. Um, Now, now when I say strength, we have to put that within reference, right? I mean, Liberty's defense obviously is not the strong suit of the team. You know, the stats would back that up. So when I say it's the strength of the defense, you have to put that in context. I I understood what you meant. Like I and and well, I think it's unquestionable that it's the deepest like that they are most comfortable rotating guys through on with in the secondary and and playing you know multiple guys in sort of the primary rotation um so i understood what you meant um although i do have a question while we're still sort of about the structure um the you know jimerson jalen jimerson number two I would exclusively see that guy when they would go to their dime package. I sort of identified him as the dime, you know, backer. Um, the uh, I have seen that he has transferred out. Um, we talked about him a little bit. Did, did, do you think he's going to play or, or what do you think his status is? 
Yeah, it, it's a question today as we talk. Um, we'll see if he makes a trip with the team to to uh, Arizona. Uh, I do, per, my personal opinion, and again, this is nothing official from the team or anything, but I think he will play. I think mm. uh, when he went into the portal, he was kind of uh, given the option. Coach Chadwell was asked about it uh, in his press conference last week, and he said he didn't name anybody specifically, but he said everybody that went in the portal was given the option to to play in the bowl game. Uh, and Jimerson's one of those. A couple of them, Preston Hodge, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is he, he's opted out. He's committed to Colorado. He's not going to play. Okay. He's not going to make the trip with the team. Jalen Jimerson, like I said, he ha- he ha- now he has committed to Sam Houston. That just happened this week, uh, an in-conference uh, opponent in, in Conference USA uh, with Liberty. But uh, I expect when he first went to the portal, it was expected he was going to play. I don't know if that commitment changes things, and, and maybe Sam Houston's like, you know, we don't want you playing in that bowl game because you're you're going to be on our roster next year. We don't want you to get injured, so that could change things. But my personal opinion is, I expect him to play. I could be wrong. Okay, that. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I was kind of worried that this dime discussion was just going to be academic because like the dude that I've seen, Brylan Green, number 15, was the dude that I would see be their like backup nickel and backup dime. So I was figuring with Preston Hodge out that he would be, you know, he would step up and be the new starting nickel for this for, for the team during the bowl game. And then I was like, well, then they don't have a dime guy. But if Jimerson is playing, well, then they do. Sure. Um, OK, now that there's been a lot of interchanging pieces in the defensive backfield and and it's hard to get a good read for where exactly everybody fits into that depth chart. I mean, I would consider Brylan Green a starter, but I know a lot of games he didn't he wasn't on the field for the first yeah. drive of the game. So, uh it's weird, but uh, they've rotated and Jimerson's another guy who like like you said, he's kind of that dime pat back and he's he's played a good amount, but uh there's other times where like you know, he'll, he'll play like two series. He's on the field every single play and then he doesn't play the rest of the game. It's like, well, yeah. what's that all about? So, okay, let's, let's, let's work from the front backwards though. Let's, let's jump, jump up and talk about the defensive tackles. Um, so, uh, uh well, okay. Two defensive tackles on the field uh, pretty much all the time, unless, like I said, they're going to the dime pack, in which case they sometimes pull one of them, although in some situations they pull one of the ends. But anyway, the uh, the guys that I am expecting to see are uh, Bryce Dixon, number 99, Jay Hardy, number four, uh, Chris Bodie, number 92. They the fourth guy in the primary rotation was Kendi Charles. But as you mentioned, he missed the first three games and then he missed the last three games. Uh, He has hit the portal uh, and I don't know if he's healthy or if he's going to play or what the deal is on my tally sheet. Anyway, he was the I thought he was the most effective. Um, And I know how convenient that is to say as an Oregon fan, like the guy who may not be playing is the most effective. But I mean, I'm just trying to be honest. No, I I think you're accurate. Okay, Um, I I was a little confused that that Bryce Dixon was playing on almost every snap because I thought he was the least effective. Um, Do you think I'm off base there? Yeah, I think Bryce Dixon, he's, he's a young guy. He's a true sophomore, and uh, the, he's got a lot of potential. He's uh, a guy that the coaching staff has a lot of hopes for. I think uh, he probably played more this year just out of necessity. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned Kendy Charles injured a lot. Uh, also, um, uh, 
Chris Body, uh, number ninety-two. He he's missed a, a fair chunk of the season as well. Yeah, he too. missed weeks like four through eight. But but he's been back since week nine. Yeah, yeah, he's back. So uh, he kind of it's kind of funny. Body and and Charles were kind of you know backing each other up, and uh, they kind of haven't been in the same game at all. I don't think yeah. maybe one game yeah. they played together. So uh, th- those were supposed to be you know. Uh, two guys that would rotate in and out. So body was available at the beginning of the season when Charles was out. And then when Charles came back, body got hurt and, and missed the middle part of the season. Then he came, comes back when Kendy's been out. So uh, at the end of the year, so uh, it's kind of been unique, but yeah, so uh, you've had one of them pretty much on the field in the rotation. And then uh, Jay Hardy and Auburn transfer another mm-hmm. one. And then, uh, uh, Bryce Dixon, those, like you said, those are the right. three that that have pretty much uh, been rotating and out. I don't expect Kendy to to play much, if any. I, like you said, I, th- I think you said he he is in the portal. He hasn't committed to anyone as of today, uh, but he is. I, I wouldn't expect him to play, and that's primarily due to injury. He's still fighting back from from a knee injury he suffered. That mm-hmm. like if Liberty was going to be playing, you know, before Christmas, a hundred percent he'd be out. But because the the bowl games on New Year's Day, it gives him a fighter's chance to to be active. But I wouldn't expect him to play a large number of snaps. Uh, would be my guess. So, and then the other guy who hit the portal um, was number seven, Taishik Galloway. Um, we didn't see him that much. I, I would say that he's more in the secondary, you know, rotation. Yeah, but he would probably he'd probably be like the fifth guy in the rotation. Yeah. We mentioned those first four. It, it's just this. I think they're starting to hit some depth issues here because the only other two guys that I saw at all were the two true freshmen, um, Elite Nairn and Nathan Piroli, um, who I think played four games and they're trying to preserve their red shirts. Although that's you know the bowl game doesn't count, so I guess we could see them. But yeah, like, I, I don't think Liberty I, wants them to play in this game if, if they don't have to. That they would probably rely on just the three, and then if Kendi's able to go, you got a fourth. So yes, there there is depth concerns, and that's pretty much been been the way it's been all season for them uh, on at dt yeah it's just you know i think that's sort of a like yeah you're right like you know ed because of the way that charles and then body's injuries uh have worked and then i, I think they didn't really have you know full confidence in galloway and they transferred out and then they had two true freshmen it's like you know I, i've had I, I had like seven different dudes on 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 my sheet you know to play defensive tackle but then when you like actually look into it it's like you know at any given time they really only had three yeah um, yeah if this is a close game and, and liberty's in it uh you won't see but those three yeah. or four if charles is active and ready to play right but it's like but that's not really a change from how they've been operating Agreed. all year long you know okay so defensive ends this uh like there's definitely a top two uh, pair of dudes, uh, uh, CJ Bazile number eleven and TJ Bush number twenty three, and then there's a clear next two pair of dudes or was, uh, you know, uh, number forty nine Greg Carroll and number twenty seven Brian Whitehead, uh, and then we like barely saw you know the the next two dudes uh, Jennings and Jones. Um, Whitehead has hit the portal. Uh, although I'm not sure what his status is. 
Do you have yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't really know uh, about Whitehead. I, I think he could play. He's another one of those guys that, that I would uh, put in like Jimerson. Except he's not committed to anybody, so I, I would think he could play. Um, if he doesn't, then Larry Jones, uh, true freshman uh, defensive end, would probably be the next man up. And he's mm-hmm. another guy with a, a lot of potential. He he's been battling injuries a lot of the season too. Had a concussion, held him out a couple weeks, and and uh, so he's been you know out but that's primarily been due to injury so he's in he did end up burning his shirt so they were thinking about maybe redshirting him too so anyways uh i think if whitehead doesn't go it'd be larry jones there but yeah uh, yeah yeah the top two on 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 either side is definitely uh uh bazeal uh who's who's, i think he's a true sophomore he may be he may have redshirted last year but and then you've got um uh, the the true freshman on the other side, T.J. Bush, and I, and yeah, you can go. I'm ahead. really impressed with Bush. Like I was, he's I gotten go a lot with. better as the years gone on. I think Liberty again, a true freshman playing a defensive end is, is a tall task for anyone to do. But uh, you know, Liberty is really last year they led the country in tackles for loss, and and Jarrell Johnson was a big part of that. He led the nation individually in tackles for loss. He's now on a practice squad for the Cowboys. But uh, this year is a big question mark. You know, they had lost couple guys through the portal coming into this year and and tj bush really impressed in, in spring ball and then in training camp and he's been on the field a lot hard to take him off the field but he's gotten a lot better as you would expect as out of a true freshman as the season's gone on but again pressuring the quarterback and i know that's a strength of oregon's offense is protecting nicks and keeping that pocket clean but pressuring the quarterback's been a big weakness for liberty pretty much all season it's gotten a little better at the end of the year and i think that's mainly due to both bazeal and bush coming on as they've got more experience under their belt uh i mean yeah you know just the the sack numbers aren't aren't particularly high and given that they weren't playing the most like talented offensive lines in the world you'd sort of like you would have liked to see higher you know sack numbers out of this group i just wanted to register that like for a for for Defensive ends who are as young as these guys are. I really thought they were both, you know, pretty technically gifted. Like I, I was seeing advanced moves out of these guys. You know, I was seeing like actual like swim moves. I was seeing like good bend, like getting around the corner, like stuff. Like I was seeing these guys like in the run game, like set the edge properly. Like not always, not perfect or anything. I'm not trying to like you know sing their praises too much, you know, or, or, or say these guys are you know really knock my socks off. They didn't, but like I'm saying, like relative to the fact that they were. Like if anybody who's saying like is listening to this and saying like, oh, a true sophomore and a true freshman, you know, like as the edges like, oh, no problem at all here. Like, nah, these guys are problems. Like, like I was actually like deeply impressed um, with how in particular how good Bush was. And then like Bazil at the beginning of the year, I was a little less impressed with him. But I really thought that he like came on pretty well towards the end of the year, too. Um, like, I actually think these these guys are are, are pretty good. Um, uh, Carroll sets the edge pretty well uh, on uh, in the run game. I don't really think he has much of a pass rush uh, to him. And then I, I don't know what to think about whitehead frankly and jones i've barely seen it all um but like zeal and bush is a pretty good you know one two at the, at the uh at the starters for the ends like and especially considering how young they are i'm i'm pretty impressed actually yeah no i think you kind of hit it uh all the way around there i don't have a I have a whole ton to add to that i, I do think like you said they, they've gotten a lot better as the season's gone on i think that's just due to experience and, and more playing time more reps as, as the year's gone on so uh but again you know the lack of pressure they've been able to to cause for opposing uh, teams 
throughout mo- much of the year. Like I said, it's been it's improved as the years gone on. And then you're going up against a really good offensive line in Oregon that that leads the country in, in least sacks allowed. Uh, they got their work cut out for them. So you know you, you'd hate for as a Liberty fan to have uh, you know Bo Nix have all day sitting back there to as he's had most of the year to to kind of do what he needs to do uh, to get to get the ball out. But uh, yeah, Bush and Bush and Busy, I think going into next year, which I know working fans listening don't don't care about next year for Liberty, but going to next year for Liberty, they uh, they feel a lot better about where they're at at defensive end than, than they did uh, this time last year. Well, the other thing you know that. I- just for anybody who who wants to make inferences based on number, you know, like the sack count alone, uh, which I think is personally foolish. The, the, the other thing to know about this defense is that they just don't blitz very often. Like, you know, like it's easy to get your sack count up if you're a team that's like a super blitz heavy team, because like you you get a bunch of help you know with blitzing this team is pretty much like they're rushing for like um, pr- pretty much all the time um and, and uh and, and when they do blitz uh you know the, the the they sort of structure their blitz in such a way so that it's either the defensive back or the linebacker who's getting the glory you know uh so it's like the defensive end sort of have a thankless you know job you know for from that perspective like you know where where i appreciate them is sort of the 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 stuff that that nobody will notice unless you're watching film um but if you do watch film, you see stuff that is like recommends ends really well, which is like setting the edge without getting too deep and allowing the running back to like, you know, having a, a big hole to, you know, to cut it outside. Like that's such a hard skill for a lot of defensive ends to learn and, and, and to see it out of, you know, young ends, you know, it's just setting the edge properly and like not getting too greedy or getting too deep or like getting just like, you know, bowled over like, yeah, you know, it, it shows on film. And I just want to register that I appreciate it. Okay. Linebackers. So you already mentioned uh, Tyron Dupree, number 35, you know, a, a, as you said, uh, uh, leads the team in tackles. Um, the uh, the interesting one to me is, well, they started out with the other starter being Jerome Jolly, number zero. Um, but then I think they made a decision a couple of games into the year to switch it up and go with Joseph Carter, number 25, as the as the other starter in in, in what is usually a two linebacker system. I think just because they think that Carter is better. Um, that was my read on the situation. Do you think I'm wrong? No, you're you're correct there. Uh, Jolly kind of started the year as a starter had a, had a had a pretty strong start to the season, in, in my opinion, from a guy that was primarily a special teams player his first couple years uh, in the program. And and uh, but then Joseph Carter was a guy that was unknown to Liberty fans uh, going into the year. He's a walk on. He, yeah. he was awarded a scholarship in, in training camp, and and he really got better and better as the year got, went on. And and you know early in the season he didn't have very many opportunities, and then when he did have opportunities he he took advantage of them and and uh was you know one of the better linebackers that that the team had and and earned his spot uh, onto the field and and he's played a lot as the season has has wound down here the last few weeks so uh yeah tyron dupree is kind of the team leader uh you know a six years uh six year senior uh senior obviously and 
Uh, he's played played a lot of football primarily as a complimentary piece, and and this was his first year. That he was kind of able to step into the limelight, and and he was really able to do that, and 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 really uh, has impressed with with his numbers. But uh, but yeah, uh, Car- Carter and then uh, uh, Jolly are the other uh, linebackers, and those are the primary ones. You know, you probably won't yeah, see much only the others. Seen. Yeah, kind of like so the tackles, then- you only see about three of them at linebacker right. rotate. And then, like I said, when they want to go to a heavy package, I mean, I have occasionally like like on the goal line, you know, it's like, you know, one yard to the goal line. I've seen them put like a fifth defensive lineman on, but uh, like every other situation when they want to go, which is like 99 percent of the time when they want to go heavy, they put a third linebacker on, which is why I want I thought you were you were smart to talk about linebacker depth. Um, cause like what linebacker depth, like it's really just these three guys. And then the, 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 like, I didn't see Jolly in the conference championship game. And he, I didn't... he was not dressed. Um, so he had some type of injury, but he's supposed to be ready to go, okay. uh, for the, for the Fiesta Bowl. Okay, good. Because like, I mean, I was seeing, like, like I said, Nick days who I'd like barely seen at all. Like, I, you know, I, I hadn't seen Nwanko at all. I think, uh, Akil Washington like transferred out in the mid middle of the season. That's correct. Um, and then, like, that's it, man. Like, I, I haven't seen anybody else. And so it's like, dude, if they didn't have Jolly, like, uh, you know, really, you know, uh-oh. And they need him. Like, they they need him for, you know, because, like, like look, I'll tell you, Oregon's got, like, three tight ends. And Will Stein, the offensive coordinator, like, if he senses the way that your substitution rules work is that you – you know he'll play 12 13 personnel if he thinks he can get an advantage on you by the way that your substitution rules work is requires you to put on more you know linebackers onto the field but you don't actually have good linebackers you know who can cover like you know i'm sort of i don't really love to make you know predictions about how the game goes but i'm sort of like man i i I think oregon might play this game in a lot of 12 personnel and just sort of like take advantage of the linebacker depth here i'm sort of a yeah and and depth is really a concern not just linebacker but defensive front as well too so yeah uh you couple that together it it could be a problem for liberty but uh the the defense and i know we're getting ready to move to the defensive backs where the defense has really been uh the numbers aren't pretty but they've been very opportunistic and they've gotten the stops when they needed them and a lot of times was 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 through turnovers oh my god how have i gone this long without talking about the turnovers (laughs) like oh my goodness how, how did this slip my mind so 21 interceptions, the most in the country. Literally no one in the country has had more interceptions uh, than Liberty has. And the crazy thing is, is on a per pass basis, it's uh, it's super high. Uh, uh, 4.25%, I think I'm getting that number right. 4.25% of opponents' passes get intercepted by Liberty. Like... Uh, you know, more, more than, more than one out of 20 uh, uh, of, uh, or whatever. I think I'm getting that number, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it was week one against Bowling Green Liberty. And again, you're, you're talking about a defense coming in the year that had two returning starters and they had four interceptions week one against Bowling Green, which yeah. you're sitting here thinking, you know, it was just an anomaly. It was a fluke, but then it kept happening every single week. And I you're mean, like, maybe that's just what this team is. I mean, I, I do think that, Look, some of it is luck. Like, sure, there's, uh, you know, a- anything having to do with turnovers, it is undeniable. Like, it just, it's just a any advanced statistician will tell you a degree of it is luck, and 
and a degree of it is just playing like, let's also be honest, like we're not talking about the best quarterbacks in the world. Almost every one of the quarterbacks that they played, their NCAA passer rating was in the 120s, which is about 30. It's it's a full standard deviation below the median for FBS. Like the the best one that they the only guy who was in one who's at 150 was Diego Pava uh, for um, for New Mexico State. And even him, he didn't finish the conference championship game. They put in a guy named blaze um that's all i can remember about him uh, blaze berlowitz who uh was a third string guy and he came in and it was almost like you were looking at the same I guy in pavia and and he's in the portal too and I they both are so i thought the jerry kill lost his damn mind at the end of that game <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you like uh, that was a crazy game it was yeah i thought that final drive that kill called like was okay all right all right (laughs) but even acknowledging that some of it is playing goofball doofus quarterbacks and some of it is just some good luck you know like the ball kind of like lands in their laps and like oh look what i found a good chunk of it like a a substantial chunk of it is earned like just no fooling earned the the defensive back made a real nice real athletic play on the ball like you know anyone who wants to dismiss the interception numbers on this team as like oh it's a hundred percent flukes you know now you're wrong like that they're you know a, a a substantial portion of the interceptions that these guys are pulling is because not nah, the, these really are the, uh you know this is where the athleticism and the defense is it's in the defensive backs and they're really hustling booking it over and making an athletic play on the ball yeah the uh, two guys that kind of you know led the way for for the defense in inter Interceptions and takeaways was Brylin Green, uh, safety and corner Kobe Singleton. One thing about mm-hmm. uh, Singleton, he's really uh, he, he he's who you would say was Liberty's lockdown corner, but. Uh, oh, I say that man, very, I, I say that very so loosely. Disagree. Well, well like, I say that very I say it very loosely because he's very much he's always looking to make the interception, so he gets burned a lot of times because man, of that. There and, you go. Yeah, and let me finish my statement. Yes, so I'm sorry, John. No, you're, you're right. good. You're good. So uh, he gets burned very uh, many times uh, on that, and 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 but then he'll come back and make a good play on the ball and, and get an interception. So uh, he's he's like one of those guys that it's like. You know, some a lot of teams in conference you say like what there was a couple of games they wouldn't even throw it his way, but then like other times it's like they would and they would even attack him. And it was like you were very nervous as as a Liberty fan watching that because he got burned so many times. Uh, but then he would still on, on occasion come up and get an interception. Um, Brylin Green, on the other hand. He's a safety. He's all. He's a two sport athlete. He plays baseball as well. Oh, cool. uh, kid, kid from Louisiana, and and uh, he, he's a center fielder on the baseball team, and and he looks like a center fielder. A lot of the interceptions he's had this year, uh, he's just playing the ball, reading the quarterback's eyes, and, and makes a great move on the on the ball, great break on the ball, and is able to get over there and step in front of a, a receiver on you know running down the sideline or whatever the case may be. So uh, he's a really good player, and and again another true sophomore who, who's got a lot of potential uh, in his future. So. Uh, but yeah, Kobe Singleton's an an, an interesting one, one as well too. Uh, like I said, he's uh, you know what I would say, quote unquote, uh, lockdown corner, but he's one that that uh, Oregon could definitely uh, attack if they want to. Okay, well, you you I normally like to talk about safeties before I talk about corners, but you got my dander up about <laughs> the corners. Uh, 
I really I couldn't disagree with you more about who the lockdown guy is. Um, Singleton is interesting. I like he did like because he's got four interceptions, which is like the second most on the team. But like now the lockdown dude's a Marion Williams. Like it's so clear that he's the, the lockdown. And you know how I know is because he's got no stats. Yeah, that's a good point. He's got no stats because nobody throws against him that that's the thing like opposing quarterbacks do not throw against Marion Williams like they and oh and by the way in case anybody like is listening to this and in, in, I just want to clear up any potential confusion there's another defensive player on this team who I think is a like a walk-on defensive lineman whose name is Amari Williams who he, he, he also out. has no stats but that's yes. for a different reason <laughs> because he didn't play at all and then he transferred out different human being a Marion Williams, yeah. uh, starting cornerback uh, on the team, is playing, I think, is the lockdown corner. And he's like a phantom on my screen because sure nobody and also so number one when occasionally i do see him on the screen he's getting like pass breakups and stuff like i just think he's like look man i've i've watched when i when i am able to put their film side by side which i have less film on williams than i have on singleton because people aren't throwing against him but when i when i have some film on williams and i'm able to put it side by side i just think he's better than singleton number one number two uh, opposing cornerbacks are not throwing against Williams. They are throwing against Singleton all the damn time. Uh, now that's, you don't want to take that one too far. Cause it's sort of like getting, you know, if you and me are getting chased by a bear in the woods, like I don't need to be Usain Bolt. I just need to be a little bit faster than you. <laughs> right. You know? Right. So like, I don't want to take that analysis too far, but I do think opposing quarterbacks feel it is clear that Williams is better than Singleton. And so they're picking on Singleton. Yeah. yeah that's a good, that's a good, uh, you know, uh, breakdown you've, you've got there and, and, you know, Singleton's really gotten all the uh, hype for, for in the Liberty world uh, this season due to some of those interceptions uh, that he got a lot of several of them a few of them came earlier in the year too and and then uh sam houston uh state uh liberty won by by just uh, one score and uh he had three uh singleton yeah. i'm talking about had three pbus and i think it was six plays the final six plays of the game as liberty had the defensive stand there to, to preserve the unbeaten record but so because of that he got a lot of praise or has gotten a lot of praise and a lot of hype and and notoriety around him where like like you're saying williams really hasn't like you really don't you never see yeah. him but yeah like, good points but that's what you want out of a corner. You like you want your cornerback to be the guy who's like a, a ghost. Um, and then that's the other thing is like if you look at like the structure of 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 their coverage, like they'll often do like split man zone, and where you know like Singleton's the dude who gets safety help. And Williams is the guy who's on an island and uh, who's just like on single coverage, like, you know, you know, left by himself. And uh, like I they just trust him like the like like Liberty's coaching staff just, you know, just trust him. And here's the other thing. And like this is really like this is tough. Like I, I don't I, I don't relish saying this. It's not a lot of fun. And I'm not able like it's it's not. Oh, man. Like, how am I supposed to document this with film clips in my article? But like, there are there's a lot of plays in which sing, like the video is very clear that the receiver has dusted Singleton, but then yes. the goofball quarterback can't make the connection. 
and like what am i supposed to put a clip of my article like look everybody the goofball quarterback missed this wide open receiver like you know like yeah yeah there there was a lot of that in singleton you know this year very uh, uh if you want to call it high risk high reward type player is is yes he did come up with some some big plays for liberty this season but he's also gotten burned a fair amount of times too so then okay uh, well, sticking with quarterback or cornerbacks, um, backups, uh, I have, uh, well, I've seen three guys, except I, I kind of haven't seen them that much. Um, I've seen uh, Marquise Bell, uh, number 21, except I didn't see him a little bit uh, during the midseason, but then he came back. But then I didn't see him at all in the conference championship game. Is he healthy or what's his deal? Yeah, he's healthy. He's just, you know, in and out of the lineup a little bit with injuries, but uh, he should be good to go for the, for the game. It's, it's really, there's not a lot, you know, like we mentioned the other spots on, on defense, there's not much depth here. Preston Hodge is a guy who began the year at safety, but he kind of slid over to corner, uh, you know, kind of rotated in and out with Singleton some there the mm-hmm. last half of the year. But again, Hodge is out and he's not going to play as he's transferring to Colorado. So uh, it's a big question mark. Uh, behind you know those two uh, corners that, that we talked about in Singleton yeah, and Williams. Other, yeah, the only other guys that I've seen were were uh, Dexter Ricks and uh, Elijah Hopkins. But then, like I barely saw you know Elijah Hopkins. I saw Dexter Ricks, except when I did see Dexter Ricks, he was getting cooked. Uh, yeah, and then like Rick, I said, Rick, I didn't see Bell in the, in the conference championship game. Ricks so would probably be be the third guy uh, in that room and then, uh, you know, Bell would, would come in probably okay. fourth if needed or, or as needed. Okay. All right. Well, that was my question. Um, okay, so safeties. So like you said, it's sort of, it's, a, it's somewhat a little difficult to like pick out starters here and then, you know, Hodge who I would say was the starting nickelback and I would see all the time. And I thought it was pretty effective. Yes. He he was a pretty good player and now has transferred to Colorado. And I believe you said he's not going to be playing in this game. Correct. Okay. So I think that sort of creates a cascade. Uh, I think we're probably going to see Brylin green being the new starting nickel now. Probably so. I would agree with that. Yes. Okay. So the guy I've been seeing as the starting free safety or field safety is Brandon Bishop, number six. I correct. That'll continue. Yes. Um, I, 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 I don't think he's half bad. I think he's good as, as sort of the deep safety. He takes good angles for the tackle. I, I have some questions about him in coverage, um, but like he's not usually asked to play coverage. He's usually asked to play deep um quentin reese number 16 i usually see him play boundary safety although when dudes go into motion they often you know they'll have to like you know spin up spin down um uh and then number 29 Corey jones is interesting because i think he started the year as as a starter um, but then sort of progressively got sidelined. Do you, what's the story with the Corey Jones? Yeah. Again, as far as I know, it's no injury issues that he's had this year. He's just been kind of in and out of the lineup. Like some games he'll, he'll have a more prominent role and then you'll go two weeks and not even hardly see him on the field. Yeah. So, so it's a real question mark there. And, and, you know, like you're, you're kind of alluding to is with, with Hodge out, it, it leaves a big, big question mark as far as, you know, Who's going to start and who's the the rotation behind those starters at safety? Well, I figured, you know, Jones, you know, given Hodges is out 
and Jimerson, maybe, like maybe, maybe not. I figure that we'll see more of Jones. I would expect to, yes. But it's it's sort of like, well, I don't know who else they have. Like the only other dudes I've ever seen are August, Sweeney, and Ford, and they've only ever been like garbage time guys, I think. Yeah, Coach Chow had mentioned earlier uh, this month, I think it was last week, that expect to see with, with Hodge not playing, expect, expect to see true freshman Christian Bodner play a lot more. And, oh, and yeah. I he, haven't seen him at all. Exactly. Somebody who's probably not even on your sheet. But, and I was surprised when he said that too. I had to go and update my depth chart saying, I think Bodner might play some so uh he's a he's a true freshman uh safety that you know i think he's gotten in a couple of games late very limited uh snaps uh if if any at all it hasn't been many uh but but bodner is a guy to to expect there at, at safety wow okay well that <laughs> news to me thank you john i uh, paid for the price of admission already uh, we're only two hours in <laughs> <laughs> um well i actually that's that's pretty much it for me uh the uh uh, so we're looking at, uh, Hodge, you know, definitely being out, uh, Jimerson, maybe Whitehead, maybe, uh, uh, Charles, maybe, um, and, uh, and Bennett, the quarterback, uh, uh, definitely out. Um, Agreed. And there's a couple other names that are in the portal, but those are guys that, you know, you know, don't really play. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, you know, other than that sort of like shake up at defensive back and, you know, it's sort of the it's more or less the 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 defensive rotation that there are a number of dudes who are in the portal. But like we were talking about the it's kind of the defensive front rotation situation that they were looking at all year. Like they were, they always sort of had to deal with the fact that they only had three dudes at the defensive tackle. They only had three dudes at linebacker. You know, they had a clear, you know, two dudes and, you know, uh, only one or two, you know, functional, but clearly backup at defensive ends, like that th- they were that there were a step down, right. you know, at defensive ends. So, like, even though there's dudes in the portal, um, like I, I, I am not expecting a significant change in defensive performance, uh, out of Liberty. Uh, uh, you know, even though when you look at their, you know, who's in the portal, it's like, oh man, look at all these defensive players in the portal. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of expecting the same level of performance. I, I agree with you. I think the only question mark again is Preston Hodge, and then the depth that safety behind yeah. uh, that void left by him. And then yeah, if Jimmer- even if then Jimerson- it's like because of uh, Corey Jones, it's sure. like they had a dude who was a, a starter at the beginning of the year who then sort of got sidelined, and they had Green who like has leads the team on interceptions who because they were so deep at safety you know wasn't even on the field for you know a lot of sure. I, I think it'll like, be green bishop and reese as the three primarily starters and yeah and those will be the guys that stay on the field most of the time and then you know they'll have to rotate in some of these lesser used uh pieces jones would be the next one and then you know maybe you'll see a christian bodner again which you know we haven't seen hardly at any uh all year but it's like even if Hodge and Jimerson, you know, were both off the field because they also have Green and Jones who are, you know, at the very least experienced, like starting caliber dudes like, hey, they still, you know, they can still play their nickel defense, you know, with five starting caliber dudes, you know, without I don't really think they miss much of a beat. So I'm 
I mean, like there's depth concerns, right. For how they would, how they would rotate. Um, but, but at least for sort of the, you know, the way they would play at the frontline level, I don't think this sort of structurally changes anything is, is sort of my point. I, I, my, my conclusion is that I think defensively, I think you're looking at the same level, at least of frontline performance as the, or the same sort of constraints, strengths and weaknesses as that you were looking at all year long. Yes, I would agree with you. Okay. Well, that's pretty much it for me. Uh, uh, what are you looking forward to in this game? I don't, I don't know, man. We talked about so much. I, what else to say? <laughs> no, it, it was a great breakdown. I appreciate you going through there. It was uh, a lot of fun to, to kind of do a deep dive into to Liberty's roster and, and what to expect in this game. And, and kind of it goes back to, to what we were saying when we were talking about offense is, is uh, I think that the, the key for Liberty is, you know, obviously turnovers. You can't lose the turnover battle in this one. And then you can't uh, – something that plagued them at times on offense was the misopportune penalties that, you know, you get a holding call on a, on a third and two and all of a sudden it's third and 12 and, and your, your, your conversion rates drop significantly at that point in time. So, so those two things on offense. And then, you know, can Salter keep drives alive? Uh, and can Liberty's offensive line, you know, keep the pocket clean? And then also can they – uh, move the Oregon front enough to, to let Cooley and some of those other running backs get, you know, three, four yards of pop like they've done most of the year. And then, you know, on defense, uh, I think you guys would probably agree. I, I think I think Liberty is really going to – it's going to be hard, like it's been the case for everybody that's played Oregon this season. It's going to be hard, certainly, for Liberty to, to slow down the Oregon offense. And then, you know, it kind of comes down to, you know, getting stops in the red zone, turning touchdowns into field goals, maybe getting a turnover or two, you know, in, in key uh key moments uh to to you know keep the game within striking distance and i think liberty will try to you know slow the game down make it fewer possessions and keep that clock running keep their defense on the sideline keep bo nicks on the sideline and uh you know that that's going to kind of be their game plan and then it's just a matter of you know can they execute it yeah john manson of a sea of red thanks so much for hopping on and i imagine there'll be a sea of red down in glendale arizona no <laughs> well well we hope so we'll see how many uh how many travel it's obviously a, a you know a big thing the biggest you know achievement for the liberty football program uh in its history fifth year in the fbs so uh you know when i say a sea of red we'll, we'll see how many it's, it's a hard trip to make you know obviously coming from you know virginia all the way to arizona i you know, I know I'll be there and 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 coming with my family, so I'm looking forward to it. Should be a should be a fun experience, and and uh, looking forward to to meeting up with some Oregon fans while we're there as well, and, and having a, a good weekend uh, in in uh, in Phoenix. Yeah, absolutely, and, and bring some breadcrumbs because every opposing team seems to to enjoy throwing that at our fan base. So you know, oh, might oh, as well is that the kind of hit you know with the ducks? Yeah, that's one of them. Then someone will have a sign that says it's duck hunting season. That's well, that's about- we, we have talked a lot about duck hunting and, and here in, <laughs> in Lynchburg, Virginia, we do a lot of hunting uh, as we get into the winter. So uh, we've heard a lot about duck hunting. Oh, I bet. <laughs> and uh, Hippolyte, thanks for hopping on the show. Thanks for all your work once again. Uh, uh, my pleasure. John, it's good talking to you. Yeah, nice talking to both of you. Thanks for having me on and, and looking forward to hopefully an entertaining game on Monday. Absolutely. All right. Go Ducks. Go Flames.